0: Somebody who uh, his brain seems to be fully functioning, no matter what time of day or night is, is George Beebe. George Beebe is the vice president and director of studies at the Center for the National Interest. He's also the author of a terrific book that will expand your understanding of the Russia situation. It's called The Russia Trap, How Our Shadow War with Russia Could Spiral into Catastrophe. George, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you, Frank. Well, uh, let me play for you a piece of audio of President Biden after Vladimir Putin's decision to recognize these two breakaway Ukrainian republics yesterday. This was uh, President Biden yesterday. So I'm going to begin to impose sanctions in response far beyond the steps we and our allies and partners implemented in 20. And if Russia goes further with this invasion, we stand prepared to go further as with sanctions. Who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare new so-called
1: countries on territory that belong to his neighbors? This is a flagrant violation of international law and demands a firm response from the international
0: community. So the president and the White House seeming to say that this invasion of Ukraine has already begun. Uh, a lot of media sources, including the Associated Press and uh, and other outlets, they are uh, trying to figure out, it seems, whether or not this actually is an invasion. Uh, from your perspective, is this an invasion? Has Vladimir Putin begun an invasion of Ukraine?
1: Well, yes, I think he has. Um, he coupled that announcement of uh, formally recognizing the independence of these uh, so-called republics in eastern Ukraine with an ultimatum to the Ukrainian government, demanding that the Ukrainian government recognize the independence of, of these uh, republics, um, that it also recognized that Crimea is now a part of Russia, uh, not no longer a part of Ukraine, and that it disarms that it give up uh, all of the weaponry that uh, the United States and NATO have provided to Ukraine in the past few months. Those are not the kinds of things that you say if you're looking for some sort of deal. Uh, This is an ultimatum, and I think the only question here is uh, how far and how fast uh, Russian forces go uh, into Ukraine itself.
0: In terms of the uh, the president's response, President Biden's response to what Russia did, he has instituted um, sanctions, and he's indicating that we may even see more sanctions. Now, the threat of sanctions is not a new one. We've seen uh, sanctions in place in various forms or another for years now. Um, is that the, in your opinion... Is that the right move for the United States to pursue? What are the sanctions as we know them now, and will they have any sort of an effect in your judgment?
1: Well, uh, the question is what kind of an effect will they have, not will they have an effect. Uh, they'll certainly have an effect. They're, they're going to um, result in a, in a dramatically different economic situation for the world. Um, that's going to affect all of us, not just the Russians. Um, the question really is, will this affect Putin's decision-making calculus? And I think the answer so far is no. Um, the problem that here is, is not the use of sanctions. The problem here is the goal. What are we trying to produce here? If we thought or think that sanctions by themselves will prevent the Russians from um, proceeding into Ukraine from launching a war? I think we already know the answer to that. The answer is no. Um, sanctions would have been a useful tool had they been aimed at producing a compromise. The compromise would have to be a mutual compromise where the United States and NATO conceded some things in return for Russian con- Russia conceding some things. What, what instead we tried to do was say, well, we're not going to address your key concerns. Uh, the red line of NATO expansion, the possibility of Ukraine becoming uh, a NATO ally uh, is off the table. We, we've said that consistently, consistently. Biden said that from the very start. So, So long as we weren't willing to discuss Russia's core concern, sanctions at that point were – useless. And then that's where we are right now.
0: In some ways, it seems like um, Russia is maybe not sanction proof, but maybe able to withstand sanctions more than uh, some other countries might be. I know they have uh, they've uh, promoted importance. They've shifted a lot of their trade to Asia, for instance. Uh, They have um, diverted oil and gas revenue and expanded their currency reserves. Is is Russia kind of, have they prepared for these sanctions effectively in a way that enables them to ride this storm out, from your perspective?
1: Well, that's exactly what they've been doing for many, many years. Um, From Russia's perspective, uh, sanctions on the part of the United States have been a constant, not a variable. Um, Putin's perspective on this is that, uh, these sanctions really don't change uh, according to Russia's behavior. Um, he believes the United States was going to do this anyways. That they were fundamentally uh, just anti-Russian. They want that that the United States and and NATO simply want to isolate and punish Russia. They would do it anyways, regardless of what Russia does. Uh, and they have been uh paying down their debt uh for, for many, many years. Um they've been building up their reserves, uh reducing um their dependence on uh the dollar for trading, uh, and doing their best to sanction proof their economy. Now they still will suffer. There's no question that this will have an impact on the Russians. Uh, but when uh you look at uh, Ukraine not as something that's nice to do, but something that's absolutely essential uh, from Russia's perspective to Russia's survival, then of course you're going to be willing to put up with some economic pain in order to ensure that your country survives. And that's the way the Russians are looking at this.
0: You you alluded uh, to the fact that uh, that it's all about NATO expansion and Ukraine inclusion in NATO from the West's perspective and from Putin's perspective. I had someone over my house uh, yesterday, and uh, they had not been following the story at all, but then had seen all the news headlines of uh, of Putin and Ukraine, and they said, "Look, I'm a little embarrassed to ask this." But why does Putin want to invade Ukraine? I imagine, and this is a very smart person that asked this, um, I imagine if that person asked this, then there are others that are similarly situated. Why does Putin want to invade Ukraine? Is it all about not wanting NATO to expand to its borders, or is there something else
1: afoot there? Well, um, there is something else afoot there. Uh, There's a long history. Uh, between uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, and and also with Belarus. Uh, The Russians think of uh, those three countries as having a common Slavic heritage, uh, a common origin for their uh, culture and and civilization. Uh, The white Russians uh, or Belarusians, um, Russia itself, and what they call the little Russians smaller Russians or Ukrainians, all with sort of a common heritage and history. Um, so this is a sensitive point. Um, the, uh, the other problem here, of course, is that the Russians fear invasion. Um, now, we look at that and we think that's ridiculous. You know, we have no intention of invading. Um, but uh, the Russians are a country that, that lacks uh Natural geographic defenses against invasion. It's like a giant plain. Um, it, there's not mountain ranges uh, separating its territory from from other potential invaders. It doesn't have two giant oceans like we do that are natural protection against invasion. And they've experienced invasion repeatedly over the the centuries. Their solution to this is to put as much geographic distance as they can between the heartland of Russia and potential invaders. Um, and, you know, this has been effective for them as uh, as Hitler and Napoleon experienced. Um, so Ukraine is central to all of this. It's central to their culture and history. It's also central to their sense of vulnerability to outside invasion. Um, now, you would Started this by uh, citing Biden, saying, "You know, countries can't just recognize other territories as independent." Well, that's what we did. Where in in, in Yugoslavia in mm. Kosovo? That was a situation where um, weeks after NATO first moved eastward and took Poland, uh, the Czech Republic, and Hungary into the alliance, we started bombing Yugoslavia. Why? not for things that the Yugoslavs did outside their territory, but for abuses of Kosovar Albanians inside their country. And we did that without the United Nations voting to say, yes, that's authorized activity. We did it because we said, well, this is wrong. It's up to us morally to stop the Yugoslav government from abusing its own citizens. And the Russians looked at this and said, well, what's the limiting function here? How do we know you won't do this somewhere else? And we said, well, we decide whether this is right or not. And and I think Putin asked himself, well, what would prevent NATO from doing this in Russia itself, mm-hmm. you know, against the Russian government, for example, uh, abusing Chechen citizens? And his answer was, the only thing that would prevent that would be the Russian military. So that's really what's driving this. And when when he says, you know, I think NATO is a legitimate threat, that's the example he's looking to and saying, hey, I'm not imagining this. This has happened and it could happen again.
0: One of the things that it seems has occurred in recent years is there seems to be an increasing coziness between the governments of Russia and China that may not have existed previously. Have Has the United States, due to our policy with Russia, which has generally been marked by hostility, has the United States, in your view, driven Russia into the arms of China?
1: Yes, is the uh, simple answer to that. Um, It's a a complicated question. Uh, To some degree, the relationship between Russia and China would have uh, gotten cozier, regardless of what the United States did but i think we have artificially accelerated the pace of uh uh improved relations between uh Russia and China on the one hand and secondly we've done it in a way that has encouraged them to work against us to work against american interests so the nature of that cooperation has become anti-american <clears throat> and by pursuing a policy of essentially dual hostility toward uh, China and Russia, we have made our challenge internationally much more difficult than it might otherwise be. I mean,
0: it seems incredibly short sighted. And again, if you look, look at the examples that you spell out in your book of all the missed opportunities over the last um, 30 years, it seems like it it really didn't have to be this way. Um now we we talk about the situation in the Donbass region these two breakaway republics it definitely seems like whether it's in the Donbass region with uh, Donetsk and Luhansk or in Crimea back in 2014 that a big part of the population which is made up of ethnic russians would actually prefer to either be part of Russia or to be part of uh, you know a, a, a sovereign independent republic that is at least uh, associated with Russia. And it seems like there's not a lot of folks that are commenting on this and asking the question, what do the people in this region actually want? Do you have any idea what the folks in this region would actually prefer? And to what extent should the international community honor their self-determination?
1: Well, uh, to some degree, that's an unknowable question. I I think anybody that says, well, you know, I know what these people actually want, uh, they've got an agenda. Uh, The only way you really would know is to hold elections with, um, you know, legitimate international monitoring uh, that everyone can say, okay, this is a legitimate vote. Um, Now, even that is going to be controversial because so many people have left the region that's um, been at war uh since twenty fourteen. So um to know you know who the residents of that region actually are, uh let alone what they feel is a very difficult thing to say. Um I think the the window of opportunity for, for having that kind of vote is over at this point. Uh once the Russian military has recognized the independence of, of these uh republics and occupied uh, that region, uh, you no longer have uh, an opportunity to hold a vote that anybody in the world would consider legitimate because of those conditions. So I I think that would have been a way forward in principle. um, But uh, practically speaking, um, that's no longer possible.
0: In your view, do you think that uh, Vladimir Putin, if you were to predict Will he continue westward? There have been some predictions, including some warnings out of uh, the Biden administration, that he may go all the way into Kiev. Uh, Do you think that's likely?
1: I do think it's likely that he's going to go at least uh, to the outskirts of Kiev. I I expect Russian forces are going to proceed to the Dnieper River, um, possibly taking a uh, Uh, on the coast, the southern coast of Ukraine, and uh, potentially um, capturing all of uh, Ukraine's southern coastline. I don't expect that he will uh, move forces all the way to the west to take the entirety of Ukrainian territory. Um, That would be very difficult for the Russian military to pull off. Uh, He would be faced with partisan warfare, it would be quite bloody. It would be uh, difficult to hold territory in the West if he were to conquer it. Um, and his rhetoric has been such in explaining what Russia is doing as to talk about parts of of currently uh, constituted Ukraine as artificially sewn together, as including uh, old parts of Poland and the austro-Hungarian Empire that aren't really legitimately part of Ukraine itself in his view. That suggests he doesn't intend to go all the way to the West and to take that part of uh, Ukrainian territory. So I, I my guess is he's going to be very pragmatic about how far the Russian military goes. Uh, and whether he, he pushes into Kiev itself uh, is an open question in my mind.
0: It, whether Putin stays where he is... Uh, meaning in the Donbass region, or whether he goes increasingly westward, what should the response from the United States be? If you were advising President Biden now, and I know you've advised senior government officials and been part of the government yourself uh, for a long time, if you were advising President Biden now, what would you encourage him to do? How should he handle this?
1: Well, I think the the biggest interest that the United States has in all of this right now is to avoid uh, an unintentional uh, escalation spiral into a direct uh, conflict between the United States and Russia. Biden has said that we're not going to go to war. We're not going to use U.S. military forces directly against Russia. Uh, But that uh, unfortunately doesn't mean that we might not find ourselves in a situation where we are eyeball to eyeball uh, with the Russians, despite that. Sometimes in international relations, you find yourself in a confrontation that you haven't intended. And and that's something that we're gonna have to be very careful about. Why is that? Well, um, if the Russians continue and we impose new economic sanctions that essentially try to strangle the Russian economy, Um, There's an assumption on the part of a lot of people in the West that the Russians will simply grit their teeth and bear it. That's not necessarily how this is going to play out. The Russians have options to strike back against us, and they won't be symmetrical. In other words, the Russians aren't going to simply say, you sanction us, we'll sanction you. They could well say, hey, if you're going to strangle our economy – We can do things that will hurt your economy. Now, what might that look like? Well, the United States economy is completely dependent on the internet. Uh, Our infrastructure, our ability to use credit cards, um, our power plants, our electrical grids, um, our ability to, to move from point A to point B, transfer funds from bank to bank all of that is dependent on a digital infrastructure that is completely defenseless. We can't stop the Russians from hitting it. So if if we move forward with some things that are designed to bring the Russian economy to a grinding halt, the Russians could simply say, Hey, think again, how would you like your economy to come to a grinding halt? Um, That's a very dangerous scenario because if if suddenly the Russians uh, do something like that, that that really sends a shot across the American bow, what do we do? Uh, the emotional reaction to that, the outrage, the pressure uh, politically to do something back, to retaliate, is going to be tremendously high. And under those circumstances, we could easily find ourselves in a confrontation that we hadn't expected. So we've got to be very careful about how we proceed here.
0: So much of your book, which I can't recommend enough, it's called The Russia Trap, um, so much of your book has to do with how the United States and Russia have misunderstood one another's motives, particularly over the course of the last 30 years. In a nutshell, can you explain to folks how? The U.S. and Russia have misunderstood one another's motives. What does the United States think Russia is up to? What does Russia think the United States is up to?
1: Well, the United States essentially has come to the conclusion that Russia um, is a threat because of its very nature. Um, Psychologists call this kind of phenomenon the, the fundamental attribution error. And and everybody as individuals is susceptible to this. It's the belief that when I do things that other people find objectionable, it's because of the circumstances, right? I I had to do this because of the situation I was facing, but I'm not an evil person. I'm a fundamentally good person. Um, But we believe that when other people do things that we find offensive or threatening, it's not because of circumstances that compelled them to do it. It's because, well, they're bad people. Right, And that's essentially what has happened between the United States and Russia right now. We look at what the Russians do, and we think, well, Putin is evil. He's like Hitler. He's like Stalin. He wants to recreate the Soviet empire. He fundamentally wants to invade other countries and take them over because, well, he's a bad guy, and Russia is this authoritarian menace driven by its very nature to do these things. Now, what that does, in fact, is to take – Agency away from the United States. It essentially says, well, you know, nothing that we've done has contributed to this problem, and and there's nothing that we can do about it other than fight back, other than to resist, other than to to punish and deter. Um, Now, the Russians look at this situation and have come to much the same conclusion in reverse. Mm. You know, the United States is punishing us. Why? Because they hate us. They're Russophobic. Um, no matter what we do, you know, they're going to treat us this way because, well, you know, they're bad. Um, and so, uh, I think this is a, a, a fundamental error on both parts. Um, and what what we've decided is that uh, there's nothing each side can do. So we're just going to play it out. We're we're going to fight this out, and power will determine. Um, how uh, how things go. And right now the Russians have an advantage. Um, they've got a lot of uh, leverage over the situation on their borders. Um, so we tend to think of the Russians as weak, as a declining power, a middling economy. Um, but when it comes to the ability to affect Outcomes in Ukraine, the Russians have a a serious advantage Mm. over the United States and NATO.
0: George, uh, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time, particularly at this early hour. I always learn so much from you. And if anyone's interested in a roadmap for starting to repair U.S.-Russian relations, I do hope uh, that they will check out your book, The Russia Trap. Thank you, George.
1: Thanks, Greg.